Okay, everyone, if we could grab a seat, that would be brilliant. And we're going to open up the Bible together. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Excellent. Gilbert, could you be our Bible distributor, please? They're at the back there, the table. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, put your hand up and we would love to get a Bible to you. If you don't have one at home, please take it as a gift from us. Uh, that would be, yeah, and no one, no one need a Bible. Oh, there we go. Oh, there's someone over there. Brilliant. Uh, my name's Thomas, for those of you that don't know me, and uh, it's good to be here. I'm very sunburnt, as you may see. My nose is glowing like Rudolph this morning. Uh, yeah, it was wonderful yesterday, wasn't it? Wonderful weather. We had a great opportunity yesterday to take the van of hope to a local primary school. They invited us to help at the school fair, so we were able to serve teas and coffees and uh, connect with the community, and it was just absolutely brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant, just having conversations with people going, what's this van all about? And, oh, Inverness Vineyard, your church, that makes sense. One of the teachers said, I've been wondering for years what Inverness Vineyard was, and uh, I was having her on saying, it's to do with wine, it's to do with wine. We're here to set up a wine business, but uh, she finally knows what we're about, so it was great. Good. We are starting a new series this morning. I digress, but we're starting a new series in Galatians, in the book of Galatians this morning, and we're going to be reading, we're going to dive straight into God's Word, Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 1, at the very beginning, for the first 10 verses. So let's read these verses. Before I read, let's pray. And just pray God's blessing uh, on this time, that He would speak to us that we would encounter his presence. I don't know about you guys, but I want to encounter God's presence. That's why I'm here. <laughs> That's why I'm here. I'm hungry for it. And I, I just pray that this, unpacking his word this morning, just something of God's presence would just increase. Increase in our lives. Increase in our minds. We would have a fuller understanding of who he is. So Holy Spirit, we just come. And we invite you to come. We come this morning just as we are. And we invite your presence to come. Come and speak. Come and be with us. We just pray blessing on our kids next door. Isn't that lovely just to hear the worship and hear what's going on next door? Just bless all the kids. Bless our thoughts. Bless our teams through their serving so brilliantly. We've increased your presence in those spaces as well. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. Amen. So these letters from Paul uh, were written following visits to churches that he had founded, that he had planted, and that he had been supervising. And uh, this was through a time period of around 30 years, 30 years from Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus to his imprisonment in Rome. And at this time, he traveled as an ambassador of Jesus, sharing the good news, sharing the gospel uh, to those who would listen, sharing the gospel, the good news. And this letter, Galatians, uh, to the church in Galatia, is believed to be the earliest letter that Paul wrote. It's around AD 48 uh, to these churches. And these churches have been troubled by false teachers. They have contested the gospel of justification by grace alone through faith alone. They basically wanted more attached to the gospel. They wanted to attach more stuff to it. They questioned Paul's authority. Who is this guy? Who is this guy who's speaking to us? And, and Paul, in this letter, just jumps straight in into tackling these challenges. I have a couple of things that I, I want to draw out this morning from those couple of verses and as I've been preparing, they've, they've taken the form of a prayer, and I just pray these things for us as a church family, for each one of us as we unpack this passage. Uh, the book of Galatians is so rich, it's so rich in understanding what it means for us to be free in Christ, and that's what I've called this teaching series, Freedom in Christ, that each and every one of us would have a greater understanding of what it means to be free. That's my prayer. That's, that's my longing for my life, that I would have a greater understanding for going through and journeying this book, but for each and every one of us, what it means to be free in Christ. So I'm really excited for this. And as I was preparing, I just felt like I was praying for light bulb moments for each and every one of us as we go through this teaching series. And as I was thinking about light bulb moments, I kind of got the words light comes into dark places. I pray that there'll be moments as we unpack these verses and these chapters that light would come into dark places. I pray that there would be His power, Holy Spirit power would come into spaces that uh, we're struggling with or spaces where we just need breakthrough. And also that we'd be able to have a, a fuller understanding of what's around us. When a light bulb goes on, all of a sudden we can see a bit more clearer what's around us. And that's that's my prayer. So the first thing I want to look at, I'm sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint. I lost my memory stick. I'm having an awful bad deal with memory sticks, so you could pray for that later. Uh, the first point I want to look at, or my first prayer for us this morning, is that we would have a better understanding of grace and peace. That we would have a greater, uh, a better or a fuller understanding of grace and peace. 
Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our Saturday night viewing was Saturday night takeaway. For those of you that remember, uh, our boys loved watching it with Anton Deck, and uh, it was a great family moment. Well, now Mary and I have got a new show, The One Percent Club, that we've been watching, haven't we? And uh, does anybody watch it? One percent. <laughs> does what it says on the tin. It is a like a kind of quiz show, general knowledge kind of show, and uh, a group of folk are asked a series of questions, and it starts at like 90, 95% of people know the answer to this question, so it's quite easy, and then it whittles all the way down, the 40% question, the 30% question, and as they get it wrong, less people are, they're thrown out, and it's down to like a couple of people with the 1% question, and they get to win a load of money, and the 1% question is meant to be really difficult to get and uh, we enjoy doing it. And there's a little app you can do it gets, uh, do alongside it. It gets your brain thinking and uh, you can play along. But once you get to around the 30% question, so 30% of people can get the answer, uh, the questions get a bit more difficult, but they also have a, a pattern, most of them, to it. And it's like, I don't know, hopefully I explain this. It's like you need to, I've called it like it's like a step question. You have to complete one part of the question to get the answer, if you know what I mean. It's like two questions in one. So once you get, for example, if you had a question like A equals one, B equals three, C equals five, continue the pattern and work out this word. So you have to work out what the letters mean to then get the word. Does that make sense? Yeah, good. And if you don't get the letters right, the word won't be right. I think our understanding of grace and peace is a bit like that. I believe a fuller understanding of grace unlocks a fuller experience of peace this side of heaven. And I think some of us have struggled, most of us have struggled with grace, which means that peace is very hard to find. We get some of the picture and then we rehash it a little bit like the false teachers that were harassing Paul. Paul in these couple of verses talks about the source of our salvation and the gospel message. And the source is grace. There may be no more important word than us than the word grace. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. I love this analogy as I was preparing about grace. I love this little analogy. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives recognition for their long service or their high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage... When a person is not able to win any prize, when a person deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that's a good picture of God's unmerited favor. And this is what we mean when we talk about the grace of God. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely. Grace is God reaching down to bless people who are in rebellion against Him. The source of our salvation is the grace of God with his undeserved favor. Grace means there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. Grace means there's nothing that we can do, there's nothing uh, we need to do to make God love us more. 
God won't love you more if you fasted and prayed for the next month. God won't love you more if you take 10 of your friends to church. God won't love you more if you gave all your money to the church. God won't love you more if you gave away everything you owned to the poor. God won't love you more if you served every day to love the least and the last. God won't love you more if you leave your job and go on to become a missionary around the world or give yourself on behalf of some righteous cause. If you do good things and no bad things for the rest of your life, God won't love you more than he does right now. And grace means also, to flip it around, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. No amount of addiction and sin, no amount of wrong decisions and pitfalls, no amount of selfishness and greed can change God's love. Wow. Think about that. Not only can we do nothing to make God love us more, but we can do nothing to make God love us less. It's quite incredible. It's beautiful. It's assured. It's a crazy rescue love with no conditions. It's, it's wild. It's wild. And the difficulty that I have and we have is we hear this and we receive it and we're baffled by it, but deep down in, the, in, the, in who we are, we are a people who attach so much on what we do. It's when we were at the van yesterday at the school, I met conversations. You know, think about conversations you have with people you've just met. So what do you do? How early on in the conversation does that become? It's one of the first things, isn't it? Lovely to meet you. What is it you do? What is it you do? And it's in that moment where people paint a picture. It's like they've got the brush and they're painting the picture of who I am I'm forming you to be. What do you do? Because that's going to help me paint the picture of what I see you as. What we do shapes us. What we do takes us to where we need to go. What we do will influence and define my life. And we attach this to our walk with God. We review our days perhaps by how little we've prayed or how much we've sinned and we distort grace. Does God accept us more on our good days or our bad days? It's exactly the same. But God, our mighty Father in heaven, paints a very, very different picture. There's a brilliant book uh, by a man called Jeff Bridges, and he paints a, a lovely analogy that I just want to share with you. Uh, some of you may have had to, at some point in your life, declare bankruptcy. It contains a note of shame to it. It means failure, insolvency, and the inability to pay our debts. It's not something that we're proud of. You don't hear at the school gate, oh, my dad's bigger than you. Well, my dad was bankrupt. It's not something that you would shout from the rooftops. But bankruptcy can not only be chatted about in terms of our financial state, but also our spiritual state. In fact, the Apostle Paul, Paul, who wrote this letter, speaks about it in Romans. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who uh, understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul is saying there's no one righteous. There's no one who seeks God. No one who does good, not even one. 
This is spiritual bankruptcy. Usually when somebody declares bankruptcy, they have a few assets that could be sold off to pay a little money to the creditors, to what they owe. But the Bible says that everything that we have is worthless to God. You can't make partial payment for your debt. Even our righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. We read of that in Isaiah. All of us are spiritually bankrupt. We owe a debt that we can't make even partial payment to. So salvation comes to us as a gift. It comes to us as a gift, an act of grace. We have to, all of us, stop trying to pay our debt before God and turn in faith to Jesus for our salvation. And I think that's where peace lives, in that space. We have to acknowledge before God our spiritual bankruptcy. And the man in this book, Jeff, Jerry, Jerry, Jeff, we'll call him Jerry or Jeff. I'll alternate between the two. He speaks about two kinds of bankruptcy that a company can declare. Firstly, a company can declare a chapter 11 bankruptcy. So that means that a court temporarily stops creditors from going after the assets of the company. It gives them some time to get their affairs in order. It gives them some time to reorganize, to bring in new management. And then it comes out of bankruptcy and it pays its debts. So it's like a temporary bankruptcy. And then there's chapter seven bankruptcy, which is permanent. Everything in the firm is liquidated. The firm is declared insolvent, unable to pay its debts. The firm has no future as a business. The company's finished, it's over. And he says, what type of bankruptcy do you think most people declare before God? Is that a chapter 11 temporary one or is that a permanent one? Is it a going out of business, total liquidation with our lives? He suggests that most people come before God with a chapter 11 temporary spiritual bankruptcy. That when we begin the Christian life, we do so out of a desperate need for Jesus. We know we need Jesus. We have nothing else to turn to. There's an urgency. There's a hunger. We can't make life work. We've hit the wall. That's what drives us to Jesus. We have a sense of need. We know that in that moment that we need his grace. We know we need his help. We know we need relief. So in that moment, we begin actually our Christian life with a real, real understanding of grace. But then things begin to work out for us. We get a little more back on the road we become a little bit more generous. Maybe a few of our problems that drove us to Jesus get solved. And we see them in a whole new light. And maybe we get back on our feet. And then we say maybe, well, I'm organized now. I can go back to business on my own. We think the spiritual bankruptcy we declared with Christ was only temporary. And when we go there, peace is hard to find. Anxiety and worry can dominate. And peace is just a struggle. I wonder, for some of us here this morning, is it just a, a fuller understanding of grace? There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to earn. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. 
So we see a, a better understanding, a fuller understanding of grace and peace. And then secondly, I want to look at verse 6. In verse 6, we read, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. There's a real, the words of Paul here, it's just like how quickly you've turned away, how quickly you've distorted. And I want to share my second point, which is how quickly we can drop the ball. How quickly we can drop the ball. And I was thinking, trying to think of a wee story or something around this. And the only thing, it might be a bit of a tedious link, but we're rolling with it. Uh, I used to be a mortgage advisor, and I remember going for training once down to Bradford with a few of my colleagues, and we were there the whole week uh, training and learning everything you need to know to become a, a mortgage advisor. And the first couple of days, I was flying. I was absolutely flying and uh, felt confident. And I was going down for my breakfast one morning, uh, with my suit and all suited up and everything. And I, I was in a good place. <laughs> I was in a good place up until this point and got a fried breakfast, all the trimmings, everything. I was ready to go and I didn't see a step in front of me. And this is in front, there must have been about 200 people in the breakfast in the restaurant. And I proceeded to fall flat on my back with my whole breakfast over my suit. So bacon, egg, black pudding, absolutely everything. Honestly, it was mortifying, and I just kind of ran away. I just left the train, ran away. <laughs> I'm going, going to my room, managed to have another shirt, but it was awful. How quickly, how quickly things changed. From feeling like I had it, I was flying in this. It was almost like God just wanted to say, come on, I'm still here. I'm still here. How quickly we can drop the ball. How quickly things can change. Commentators tell us that Paul's writings to the churches, and as we read them, always had a little encouragement in it, always had a thankfulness line to it. I'm thankful for, but we don't see anything here. We don't see anything here. He launches straight in to the bewilderment of what he's seeing. And it was so quick. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And the Greek word here is metatethemi, to transfer one's allegiance. So it's used in the case of soldiers who would swap over to the other side, who would revolt, or men who would change side in, sides in politics. So Paul is calling the Galatians this. This is like, this is harsh words. Spiritual deserters, some commentators call them. They've turned to a gospel of works. They've insisted on keeping the law taught of Moses, and they've insisted on circumcision added on to the gospel. But the work of Christ is a finished work. It doesn't need rehashed. It doesn't need remade. It doesn't need reconditioned. It doesn't need reconstructed. It's salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, without any add-ons. I get annoyed with apps on my phone. I don't know if you're looking for a new app, and the amount that say in-app purchases you think you're getting the full thing. And there's, oh, no, 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 you need to add on some more to get the full thing. We do not need to do that with Jesus. There's no in-app purchases with Jesus. It is the complete package. The gospel is the complete package. And Paul is alarmed by how quickly the gospel was distorted, distorted by the Galatians, how quickly they dropped the ball. Bear in mind, he was there planting this church. He was there mentoring them how quickly it was distorted. 
And I read this and I think about, oh Lord, how quickly I dropped the ball. I don't know about you. I can experience an encounter of the presence of God in here. And then I get angry on the way home when somebody cuts me up. I can sing of God's protection and love and power, yet when a curveball comes my way in my week, I try to sort it out first and then go, oh, maybe I should say a wee prayer. And I know of some remarkable people in this room, having been around them, who live with God as first response. And I just pray, Lord, would you just increase that amongst us? Would you increase that amongst us? Help us learn how quickly we can stop the good habits, perhaps, as well, when the results come. How quickly we can stop the diet when we get the weight loss. How quickly we can stop the running when we have ran the marathon. How quickly we can stop... I'm still running, by the way. How quickly we can... How quickly we can stop praying when our prayers are answered. How quickly we can come less at church when life is sailing and going well. And I just think, and commentators write this too, I just think that when the enemy cannot entice us into sin, he often tries to deceive us and bring us back into the driving seat. Whispers, you've got this. You've got this. You don't need, you don't need to press in as much there. It's amazing how quickly we can drop the ball. Subtle, quick, in a step, just like with my breakfast. (laughs) Let's not be a people who go back into business on our own. That thinks it's time I got my ducks in a row. That think when life is rosy or we don't see much happen, I'm going to take back control. It's amazing how quickly that can happen. The Galatians dropped the ball. Paul actually writes in chapter 3, It was like they had a spell cast over them. My prayer is that we would have a fuller understanding of grace. Coming with full spiritual bankruptcy. So that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would flow from each and every one of us in vast measure. That we would just be full of it. That's my prayer. That's my hope. And then just finally, as we bring things to a close, we watch out for people pleasing. In verse 10, Paul says a couple of lines, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pleasing people is a dangerous pursuit. Here's 10 signs via Google that you might struggle with this. You pretend to agree with everyone. You feel responsible for how other people feel. You apologize often. You feel burdened by the things you have to do. You can't say no. You feel uncomfortable if someone is angry at you. You act like the people around you. You need praise to feel good. You go to great lengths to avoid conflict. You don't admit when your feelings are hurt. Paul is really quite blunt in this letter. A lot of the language, a lot of the words, and he makes no apology for his unwavering devotion and love for Christ. And I love it. I love it. And his crystal clear instructions and feelings towards the Galatians for the sake of the people. He said no to people pleasing. For the sake of souls. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, 
Let them be under God's curse. And then we read as in the verses in verse 10. You can't serve two masters. Paul is saying, I'm here to please Christ. And people's souls are at stake. Paul is seeing the ungospel being thrown out, making the cross redundant. And in him calling it out, in his letter, blunt and drastic in tone, was for the sake of the people who he cared deeply from. For. Maybe for some of us, people-pleasing has become overwhelming. Maybe for some of us, it's where we gain our worth. Maybe it's what fuels us. Maybe we feel the weight of people's stuff. Maybe we feel we can't say no. Maybe we need that approval. Maybe we need those likes on Facebook. And when we don't get it, we try harder the next time to get people's attention. Paul's focus was Christ. Paul's vision was Christ. Paul's destination was Christ. And from that, people were cared for and loved for in the best way possible. What a reminder. I, I think for some of us, we maybe need to receive that we're not the answer. Jesus is. We're not the path to freedom. Jesus is. We're not to feel the weight Jesus is. And it's my prayer that the way, any weight that we are feeling would be handed to the Father this morning. Paul is focused on Christ. It's unwavering. My prayer is that we would have that same focus when souls are on the line. So a fuller understanding of grace and peace. Watch out for how quickly we can drop the ball and stop the people pleasing. Look to Jesus. Why don't we stand together?